What's up, guys? Welcome to Trollier Than Thou podcast. I am Matt Travis, and I'm here with... What's up? It's your boy Dave, agent Dave. of polemics from Twitter. Mostly mostly peaceful polemics, or uh, fiery, but mostly peaceful, <laughs> or uh, definitely not Dave, or one of a number of other names well, that, you know, that Dave is known by. We, we've had a history. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, but yeah, so this is our first podcast, um, hopefully of a of a long series of uh, podcasts, and um, um, we're looking forward to it. So we've been we've been wanting to start this for a while. Uh, me and Dave have been talking for probably what about six months ago was the first time. Yeah, I think that's when we first initially started bouncing some stuff off, and uh, I had some scheduling conflicts. You had some scheduling conflicts, and it just kind of kind of went uh, without coming to fruition there for a little bit. But dude, I'm excited to get started too. I'm looking forward to to getting to know you a little bit better and uh, for everybody else getting to know us a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we have some uh, some good plans going forward. Um, um, just to kind of plug plug uh, LibertyTalks.net, if you go to LibertyTalks.net slash Trollier dash than dash thou, um, you can find all of our content there in case we ever get banned off YouTube or something. We plan on um, putting this on multiple platforms and pulling from there and putting it on the website. So you can always go to there. Um, you can sign up for a free subscription right now. Um, just by, uh, hitting the subscribe button on the, on the, uh, at the top of the website. And, um, that'll get you emails and stuff to give you updates whenever we post new content. Um, obviously we don't, we don't plan on getting banned for a while, but, uh, but you know, it happens. There you go. It's happened to Dave yeah. about 75 times on Twitter. Well, you know what I'm confused about you getting banned on Twitter is how you keep getting to make accounts. Yeah. A lot so, of times they'll ban your IP address. So here's the actual rules, right? So a lot of people get this wrong. Um, dude, so the first time I got banned, it was an account called uh, Presby Polemics. Uh, this was, man, it has to be a year ago now, right? Uh, mm -hmm. When I initially got banned. And what I got banned from that time was I put out a tweet. And, and I kind of set out not to get banned, obviously, but just to make like the most offensive tweet to the world that I could, right? So it was like 240, 280 characters, whatever Twitter is, I forget. But it was basically like, abortion is murder, you know, um, I, I forget what it all was, but I listed out like five things that obviously, you know, like men aren't women, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and I got banned from that. Um, so what happens is if you get permanently suspended, so Twitter doesn't call it banned, right? They call it suspended. But if you get permanently yeah. suspended, you're not able to um, create a new account. It's against their terms of service. So all subsequent bannings uh, haven't been for me doing something super offensive or something like that. It's been for me slipping up and saying that, yeah, I was actually president Flemix or whatever, just in, in casual conversation with somebody. And then as soon as somebody yeah. reports that and there's evidence of me admitting to it, uh, that's where they get me. So uh, for the haters out there, you know, just keep watching. <laughs> I'll slip up at some point. You guys can report me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I remember after you got banned the first time, you put your picture back up. Uh, yeah. And I think it wasn't too long after that that, that you got banned. So I thought maybe there's somebody that's got a got a vendetta against you that likes to sit around waiting for you to pop back up and report you there you go yeah i actually know the person who reported me uh for the last one but we'll talk about that out there. <laughs> awesome awesome well, let's go ahead and jump into it um today we're talking about this is going to be kind of a broad topic um it's going to be a lot of stuff dealing with uh pro-life topic um our main focus is going to be on this idea 
that a lot of people in Big Evo has pushed. You've seen it from Lecrae, from Beth Moore. Uh, I think Dan Darling has done it. Um, you know, all, all your usual suspects, Tim Keller, those sorts of people. They'll have they'll express in some form they'll express the idea that as Christians we need to be pro life for all life, which could you know they may say holistically pro life, they may say pro life from womb to the tomb, or something along those effects. And we're going to kind of talk about the problem that we see with that, um, along with some with some other other issues that we see with with how they uh, treat the pro life issue and how they try to advocate for the pro life cause if, if that's really what they're doing. Um, um, but uh, but Dave, I know you had some you had an article from TGC. I think it'd probably be good was good to start with that, um, if that's what you like to do. So so yeah, you want to jump into that, or did you want to read something else? Or no, for sure, I'll, I'll jump into that in one second. But you know, just to kind of kick it off, right? Like so many things with Big Eva, with TGC, with the the evangelical elite among us, if you will, right? They say things that on a surface level everyone affirms, and we get this all the time, right? Like I want to be pro life mm-hmm. for all life. Okay, well, yeah. well, of course, I want to be pro-life for all life, too. Uh, I assume by that you mean we should uh, execute people who murder somebody because now we, they are receiving justice for taking life, and that's pro-life, right? And then, of course, they're like, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean at all. <laughs> you know, so really what I want to look into, and I, I know you kind of have a similar uh, heart and mind about it, is what is the functional application of what they mean by this pro-life for all life mentality, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I got this TGC article here. Um, and, and to kind of just kick things off, this is not by any means me going out and finding the worst article on this topic that I could uh, from Big Eva, right? Uh, this is not mm-hmm. by any means the worst tweets or the worst things that people have put out on the subject. What I try to do here is just find a basic kind of run of the mill if I were to go to TGC on any given day and there was an article on the main page about abortion, this is what I would kind of expect to find, right? Um, So the article is by uh, Thomas Kidd. The name of it is The Elegant Simplicity of the Pro-Life Issue, all right? Um, And like a lot of articles in TGC, uh, you know, the first couple of paragraphs are pretty good, just kind of setting stuff up. There's nothing too um, crazy or too out of the ordinary that we would disagree with. And I'm very winsome, uh, very winsome. You might say, yes. Uh, but you'll see, dude, even in this third paragraph, he starts talking about, you know, evidence would suggest that a typical woman who has an abortion doesn't do so with gusto or a guilt-free conscious, uh, conscience yeah. rather, she would be far less likely to have an abortion if marriage were better supported culturally, politically, a woman in a two parent stable marriage, blah, blah, blah. Right. So, uh, Yes, those things are true. That's that's not incorrect, but you can kind of see we're already setting the stage for some of that. Um, yeah, abortion's murder, but we have to kind of think about the socioeconomic background of what's going on. You know, um, it reminds me of um, if you don't mind me interrupting. Not it at reminds all. Me of the, you know, if you're the and campaign, I have yes. Whatever they have this. With that? Um, oh, they're still they're still there. The guy who started used to be a he was a Democrat. And then, of course, Timothy Keller, I believe, jumped on board at some point. Um, Kyle James Howard, around the end of 2018, became a part of him. I don't know if he still is. That kind of gives you an idea of, of the direction they yeah. go. Um, but but if but for our viewers, if you haven't heard of it, essentially it's this campaign that's trying to push this kind of third wave thing, which we'll probably get more specific into third wave in, in another episode. Um, um, we we have, we have that on our on our schedule at some point in time. Um, but but um, within that. 
they talk a lot about the abortion issue and they essentially they do kind of the same thing you're, you're talking about uh this article does um but but what they do is they they push this idea that we're not just that we need to be sure not to be only pro um not murdering babies or only pro women because the pro-choice side i mean the pro-life side is is kind of is is mainly worried about babies not being killed and the pro-choice side is mainly worried about women right yeah and what they're trying to trying to do is set us di- this dichotomy that like it doesn't exist the, the right? general pro-life movement doesn't care about women and that they just care about stopping it we need to be sure not to not to be like that as christians right this kind of like this kind of you know th- this side has some evils and this side has some evils and they're kind of equal and we can't like jump on one bandwagon and and run with that we have to be the third way in the middle um but but it's a lot of the same kind of stuff that you're talking about in this article yeah for sure and this article even actually gets into a little bit of that and i know man you know i'm not trying to spend 20 minutes on on the article necessarily but uh there is some decent stuff i think to get into so here's kind of the first thing that really struck me when i was reading through this right uh and for those that care Uh, If you're reading through this, it's the fifth paragraph in the article, and it reads, another reason that pro-life sentiment has remained strong is that the moral issue flows with the current cultural uh, trend towards protecting victims in America. Protecting victims appropriately has become perhaps the most compelling type of moral cause, even for secular Americans. As seen in the Me Too movement, the anger about police violence against African Americans, etc. Right? So the first thing that strikes me when I read this, man, pro-life issues and the pro-life cause is not in any of those camps, right? The people that are pushing Mm -hmm. what we would call the woke movement, you know, what we would call the Me Too movement, right? These are some of the most, you know, they're some of the strongest voices that are standing against the pro-life movement. Um, On the secular side, now I assume what he means is from a Christian perspective, right? The evangelicals that are concerned mm-hmm. with with these things uh, are also concerned with the pro-life movement and with the protection of infants. But man, what I've noticed yeah. is um, the people that are the loudest about the Me Too movement, the people that are the loudest, and, and let's be honest, there are some good aspects of pointing out abuse and stuff like that that comes from the Me Too movement that we would all agree with. What I'm talking about is you know, the people that were, that were accusing uh, and condemning Kavanaugh with no evidence in Christian circles, Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Right. Um, But anyway, from the people that are the most vocal about the Me Too movement, the woke stuff, that kind of thing, they're the quietest when it comes to this issue from my view. And if they do accept it, if they are vocally pro-life, it's, it's almost like a, well, yes, we're pro-life because we need to be pro-life and, you know, we do care about this, but, and then they lump in all these other things. So I just kind of wanted to toss that out there. I think it's interesting to me that he Mm -hmm. pushes those together where I would think they're almost dichotomy, uh, sorry, they're almost diametrically opposed uh, on the secular level. What I see it trying to do here too is, is these are all generally like social justice issues. Um, Um, and, and so I think what he's trying to do too, or two is, and this is what they do a lot. Uh, Big Eva does this a lot in, in articles and tweets. They try to make this equivocation between um, the pro-life issue and other social justice issues or, or social justice in general. Yep. And, and the reality is that they're not anywhere the same. No. And, and there's a number of reasons why. Um, I mean, first of all, you could come just to the, the, 
the obvious the fact that that it's so obvious that abortion is going on right you could start with that you know for for instance what i mean by that and i was trying to word that i couldn't, couldn't figure out how to word it right but but what i mean by that is essentially that abortion is you can go to planned parenthood's website and find stats on how many babies they kill every year they're not hiding it right so so we know it's happening and we know it's happening at an alarming rate and and there's there's no doubt in anybody anybody's mind that it's happening when it comes to like the me too movement like, because, because we're talking about like specific cases here, when you look at the Kavanaugh thing, like there wasn't a lot of evidence, like you're making a lot of assumptions in order to assume that he's a gang rapist or something like that. Right. For sure. When it comes to uh, police violence against African-Americans, well, we, we actually don't have a lot of evidence that shows that, that African-Americans are treated uh, uh, disproportionately worse or killed disproportionately by the, by the police, whenever you account for who's committing the crime, right? right. Um, um, of course, they want to leave that aspect out. But so, so my point being that it, it's not really clear that there is systemic racism, and we actually have evidence to the contrary of it. It is absolutely clear that there is babies being murdered by the hundreds of thousands in the U.S. every single year. Right. And so they're trying to make this equivocation between the two whenever they do this sort of stuff. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's me assuming some motives there, but but I don't think that it's that it's far-fetched to assume that's the motive whenever they do this in almost every single piece that they write. Yeah, I don't either. And don't you think it's interesting that when uh, these organizations write articles on these other issues that you're talking about, whether it be Me Too, uh, whether it be the, the woke stuff, you know, be it police brutality or stuff like that, what we're not supposed to do is is analyze the evidence you know and dig into that and yep. really pull out statistics what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to listen and believe and and just uh take someone else's experience and and try to uh grow with them in their experience right but then when it comes to this issue yep. now all of a sudden where there is hard line statistical set 750,000 babies are murdered every year in this country. Well, now we're equivocating and now it's, well, hold on. Let's look at the socioeconomic background. Let's look at the factors that led up to this. Let's look at yeah. whether or not they had health care, et cetera, et cetera. You know? So I just think it's kind of interesting that when the statistics are the clearest, that's when we're supposed to ignore them. Right. Um, yeah. Just, just a thought. Um, but anyway, so so just kind of continuing on in this article, of course, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this because it's not really the topic, but uh, right after that paragraph I just read, the next sentence, the clarity of the pro-life cause is also a key to the enduring white evangelical attachment to the Republican Party. Of course, right? Of course. It has to be the white evangelical attachment to the Republican Party. Yeah. It can't just be the conservative attachment to the party that wants to kill less babies. No, it's yeah. got to be it's got to be the white stuff, right? Which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that uh, in a different podcast. Um, but then, of course, the article goes on. It, it spends a whole paragraph on how terrible Trump is. Uh, and then a paragraph on, you know, <laughs> many white evangelicals, again, in 2020 might appreciate a realistic alternative to the boorishness and chaos of the Trump presidency. <laughs> mean tweets. <laughs> Joe Biden might not be the most articulate person, and he may well get over by the extreme, uh, sorry, and he may well be gotten over by the extreme left wing of the party, but he's a tempting choice after four years of Trump because of mean tweets, right? Yeah. Um, so you can, already, you can already see this article, and we're about halfway through it now, just setting the stage for this moral equivalency, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's one of the biggest things that we see is the constant moral equivalency between 
Trump's quote unquote boorish behavior, which functionally means mean tweets and calling Rosie O'Donnell a name, you yeah. know, and the systematic slaughter of 750 babies a year. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, uh, and what that, what it seems that this is about is it's, a, it's about getting certain people elected and not getting other people elected yeah. for the most part. And, and, so yeah, yeah, you see this moral moral equivalency between the two, and and what that results in is is basically them saying that well, like I've talked about, like I said earlier, like there's this third way, and and you know we're not actually a part of the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, and and then they're trying to take these 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 uh, social issues, these what are really the water, water uh, break down to socialism, right? Um, um, like welfare and that sort of thing, and say these are just as important. As, as stopping the murder of baby, which brings us back to the pro-life but all life position that, that sure. we, need, we need to be sure and, and try to save life in all areas of life. Um, but yeah, and it's, it's just nonsense. It's this idea, it's weird because it's hard to even get commentary on this because you, you, it's, it's, they're so not the same right. that exactly. their attempt to do this is just laughable. Like you look at it and go, wait, wait, wait you're saying that Murdering babies is is like a relatively or similarly important issue. Yep. Like stopping that is a similarly important issue to being sure that some people aren't poor. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it reminds me, you know, just as an example of something that I'm sure you've seen a thousand times in your conversations with people online and in real life, right? And, and it generally yeah. comes from atheists, uh, but it comes from Christians that, let's just say maybe don't have the greatest view of the Bible as well. You know, you'll bring up an issue uh, and specifically you'll bring up something from, from the new Testament, something extremely clear. Like mm -hmm. you'll be talking about Romans one or something, right. Uh, in a conversation about, um, you know, maybe homosexuality. Right. And, and then they'll toss out. Yeah. But you know, I mean, you just pick and choose. Uh, and why don't you wear the same color fabrics uh, or why do you mix fabrics like the Old Testament tells you how to do? And, and it's like, you're so taken aback because, okay, first of all, yes, there are answers for those. Uh, but, but the division of the Old Testament law has nothing to do with what Paul is teaching the church right here in Romans 1, right? And that's not a yeah. dispensationalist take by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just like, how, how do you functionally what you're saying is i just don't like this so i'm gonna find something that i don't think that you're consistent with and that gives me an excuse to not do it you know mm -hmm. what i mean um, but that's kind of what it reminds me of little sidebar there um not trying to get too uh, off into the weeds um, but another thing man uh that this article goes into and i'm not sure if you're familiar with this uh daniel williams's book the politics of the cross have you heard of that uh no i haven't okay cool um so i haven't read it but i think that uh, you should check out this uh this synopsis of the book that he gives i'm not going to go through the whole thing right now but mm -hmm. dude it is wild and i think if daniel williams is anything that would be considered a conservative evangelical uh if this is if thomas kidd's take of his book is accurate um well let's let's put it this way if thomas kidd's take of his book is accurate he's nothing even close to being considered a conservative evangelical, right? If his take of the book isn't accurate, man, if I was this guy, I would be having some things to say to Thomas Kidd on, 
on how he paints this. But basically, man, it goes into all of the stuff of, um, you know, the Democrats' promotion of financial support programs for the four has the ironic effect of being functionally pro more pro-life uh, than the Republicans' opposition to Roe, and then listen to this commentary, which often seems more obligatory than sincere. So there we go with what you were talking about earlier, right? It's that it's that motive of do the you know the the Democrats care about women and the Republicans care about birth? You know, you're not pro-life, you're pro-birth, that yeah. kind of thing. And this can be oh gosh, this this type of argument can can be dismantled in a number of ways. You can do it statistically. First of all, this is just obviously false. Um, obvious and obvious if you if you actually look into the stats, which if you're making a claim like this, particularly if you're if you've written a book on a particular subject and you're using this as evidence for whatever whatever narrative you're trying to trying to push in that book, if you're making a claim on this, uh, uh, um, then you should you should have looked into it already. And I'll give you like a one hard example that's really easy, and I use this a lot because it's really easy to demonstrate to people what's actually going on. So they'll, they'll put out that graph where the, the number of abortions goes down during the Clinton administration, basically plateaus during Bush, and then goes down a little bit during Obama. Um, and yeah. then we don't really have enough numbers for Trump to see what, what happened over those four years. But so you look at that and you go, oh, it goes down during Democratic presidents. That is the most childish way to view politics ever, that like the president is, is, has such authority, like he has limited power. You can't just, he doesn't make all laws everywhere, you know, at the, at, at the whim, sure. you know, at, at his whims, right? He's, he doesn't just make up random laws at any point in time. So he actually doesn't have that much of an effect in and of himself. Now, if you right. have Congress and the Senate and the presidency, then you can start to have an effect on things on a national level. Um, but usually what happens, first of all, a lot of these decreases are during times when the Democrats, Democrats controlled the House and the Senate. Um, so... You know, for instance, um, whenever Obama was in office, uh, the Republicans controlled the House for most yep. of the time. And I think they controlled the Senate for about half the time. When Bush was in office, the Democrats, I believe, controlled the House for most of the time. So, so you, have, you have these situations where that, that just doesn't, that's, that's a very childish way of thinking of these, right? But then you can kind of go into the statistical analysis of it. So, and the, the real argument against this is that, well, what's happening during these years is that states are passing abortion laws that are banning abortion for certain periods of time. And so, and so abortion is decreasing in those states. And the, the lie that people cross state lines to get abortions, well, the, the idea that people cross state lines to get abortions is mostly a lie. Not that, yeah. what I mean by that is not that it doesn't Statistical happen. Statistical anomalies. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Here goes uh, an example that encompasses everything I've just said. New York from, I think, I could be getting my exact dates wrong, but, the, but if, if you, look at the, the data, you'll, you'll see that I'm, I'm generally right here. I think from 2013 to 2014, correct. yeah, from 2013 to 2014, they saw abortion decrease in New York, the, the state, by like 1.4%, which is negligible. It's, it's nothing. It's right. like, it's, that's a general trend throughout the entire United States that it decreases by about 2% every year because um, it is going is down. Fantastic. Yeah, which is fantastic. And, and in Texas, that same period of time, decreased by 14%. Do you know what happened? What, what, do you know what occurred in Texas? What, what went into effect in 2013? New abortion laws. State legislation, yeah. State legislation. And, and people say, so then, so then you go, well, uh, 
yeah, but then people just cross state lines and go get it. Well, if you look at the states surrounding Texas, the ones that people would have gone to to get abortions, which are New Mexico and Oklahoma, but nobody really goes to Oklahoma to get an abortion, Louisiana, you know, the surrounding states, maybe even Colorado. If you look at those, what you find is that the max number, so, so the 14% accounted for about 9,000 abortions not being done in Texas. Can you hear me? Okay, sure. You're good. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Absolutely. I'm sure if you can hear me because your video is doing something weird. But, um, but anyway, so the 14% accounted for about 9,000 abortions in Texas that year that didn't happen. It, the max number, the absolute max, and this is an absurdly high number, and I won't go into the details, but I'll just leave it at this. The absolute highest number you could give for out-of-state abortion increase from 2013 to 2014 is about 1,500, which yeah. means you still had 7,500 less abortions, which is about 12.5% difference compared to New York, who did nothing, having a 1.4% difference. So this idea that that Democrat presidents reduce abortion really because they support welfare programs, it's complete nonsense. The, the reduction in abortion is coming from states that pass abortion laws, anti-abortion laws. But yeah, I totally agree, man. So a couple, a couple quick things to add to that. And first of all, um, you know, this will probably mark the only time that I'll ever do this uh, on the entirety of this podcast uh, throughout its whole history. So we'll get it out on the, uh, the, first, the first one here. Um, so whenever people bring this up, and they always do, right, that abortion rate, uh, sorry, abortion rates fall during Democratic administrations and rise during Republican administrations, right? Um, I like to refer them to a Snopes article by that exact title. Uh, and you know, I, I trust Snopes about as far as, uh, as you can throw me probably, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but even Snopes who by no means is in the right wing or pro-life camp rates this false and then goes on to discuss a lot of the things that you just discussed about how really it's more tied to economic growth and, and new abortion laws and things uh, along those lines. Right. Yeah. What I will say though is, the follow-up argument to that, right, and kind of what undergirds in their mind the idea that these abortion rates fall under Democratic administrations is exactly what we just saw, right, which is that, uh, you know, if the economy, which they perceive to be better under Democratic administrations because they're mm -hmm. importing their political priors, right, if they, uh, they perceive the economy to be better under those circumstances, so they assume that it's going to fall. But it's funny yeah. because these people that say that are the exact same people that say, no matter what goes on in the economy, it's always the, if it's good, it's the result of the Democrat, uh, whether currently in power or previously in power. If it's bad, it's always the result of the Republican, right? So you see uh, under Obama's hideous recovery of <laughs> the 2008 recession, right? What did we hear? the entirety of his presidency. Well, that's Bush's fault. Bush yeah. caused this recession. Bush did all of this stuff, right? Um, and Bush gets blamed for it forever. Trump gets into office, you know, has the greatest economic recovery that we've seen in, in at least 100 years, right? Yeah, GDP uh, growth that Obama administration said was impossible. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, the Dow hits 30,000, which is unheard of, right? Yeah. It never happened before in history. And what do we hear the whole time? Well, that, that Trump had nothing to do with that. That was all Obama, right? So um, it's funny to me that the same people that argue this will always just default to giving the Democratic administration credit, no matter what the actual statistics bear out, right? Um, yeah. And the final thing on that, and you mentioned this, and I think it's something that we as pro-life people don't think about enough, 
from the perspective of the progressives that are are coming at this from a different angle. Mm-hmm. And what do we constantly hear? We hear, well, Trump's not doing enough, right? Yeah. Republican presidents, they don't they don't ever do anything. They don't ever outlaw abortion. They don't ever abolish abortion. And our mentality should be, too often it's not, but our mentality should be what you said, which is I don't want to live in a country where the president can wake up tomorrow and completely change abortion laws with zero checks and balances, right? Because what's going to happen the second the next Democrat gets in there, now we have partial birth abortion up until forever across all 50 states. But I think something that's worth considering is that is the world that these progressives live in, right? They want this top-down executive branch control. They want the executive branch to be dictating what all these states can do. So for them, that seems like a perfectly reasonable argument, right? Mm -hmm. Why can't the president just snap his fingers? I mean, after all, that's what I want him to do for all my preferred political policy. Um, So, you know, just kind of something to to chew on. And and, and to that point about not being able to snap their fingers, that that brings up another aspect of this. And we're talking about the practical too. We could also get into the moral implications of of this. but, But if you look at, if you look at, um, the Republican Party, for instance. So, so you have people like Susan Collins and John Kasich and, and all these people that are, that are yeah, Republicans, but they're not actually pro-life. This is kind of what I was getting at with the, with the practical part right. of it is, is you want to say, well, they're not doing anything. It's like, well, okay, let's look at this. Can they practically do anything? It's like, well, when you have people like this in the Republican Party, no. And what they say to that is, well, then the Republican Party is not actually pro-life and so you shouldn't vote for them. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Whenever you have a small uh, um, nearly insignificant. The only reason why they are a significant minority, but really they're an insignificant minority. The only reason why they are somewhat significant is because they do have enough power to stop some anti-abortion legislation. When you have a small, insignificant minority of a party that's anti-abortion um, that that is causing legislation to not get passed, you don't then go vote for the other party or not vote at all. What you do right. is you try to get you try to vote in primaries to get those people out so that you can get exactly. actual true conservatives in. It, it doesn't make any sense to say, well, therefore, don't vote for the Republican Party. No, it's, it's therefore advocate stronger within the Republican Party, which is the only party that that is giving any indication that they care at all about ending abortion and, and try to advocate within that party to get more pro-life people. And in a perfect example of why that's the case is if you look at the state level where you have a lot less of these squishy uh, Republicans in, in more conservative states like Louisiana and Texas and that sort of thing, you're seeing legislation passed that, that is, that is uh, reducing abortion significantly. And, and, th- and dude, this is really, this is kind of the heart of the issue for me, right? And, and I've, I've had all, I've had many, many a conversation with people on this, this topic and I've gotten in trouble on this topic, right? Uh, and the topic being this idea that the Republicans aren't doing enough, which I'm fine with. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to make that case with you. I will stand with you and argue that the Republicans aren't doing enough. But yes, if people that complain about the Republicans not doing enough, if they would spend the amount of time participating in, uh, local and state primaries to get actual pro-life candidates elevated to those positions, if they would spend the amount of time out in the streets protesting, marching in front of abortion clinics, protesting, right? If they would spend the amount of time on those things that Mm -hmm. they do complaining that the Republicans aren't doing enough on the internet, and then voting for somebody that's completely useless. So you said, you know, you don't turn around and vote for Democrats or not vote at all. 
I agree with you. And the third thing that I will add, and this is what gets me in trouble, is writing in yourself or writing in your favorite uh, candidate, you know, that, that you think is the, the true conservative, the only true conservative, that's not voting, right? It might make you feel really, really good. It might make you think, hey, look at me. I'm the guy that actually cares because I'm not willing to compromise. Okay, that's fine. Just stay at home and, do, and write another tweet about it. You're wasting your time, you know? If you actually want to be the guy that cares, do something get involved in some of those local and state primaries for, like you said, the only party that even suggests that they care, you know? Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah. another thing that, uh, just to, to bring up on that, and this is kind of something that I'll, I'll always link people when they start going down that rabbit hole of, uh, so generally it's, um, it's exaggerated, right? The, the Republican Party does absolutely nothing about abortion, which obviously just from a common sense standpoint is nonsense, right? What they actually mean, I think, is the Republican Party's not doing enough, which is fine. We've already kind of talked about that. But um, one thing that I always bring up to them, stand by one second. So I sent this to you as well. You can pull it up if you want. But this is from PlannedParenthoodAction.org. Okay, so uh, one of the one of the biggest Planned Parenthood activist lobbyist type groups in the country, right? They have a, a portion on their site called Timeline of Attacks on Abortion, and literally what it will do is it will list from 2020 down all of the most recent large attacks, quote unquote on abortion that have happened uh, generally at the state level, but also at the federal level as well yeah. because of Republicans, right? And so what I'll always point out to them is, dude, why is one of the leading lobby, why did you call yourself a conservative, right? Why does one of the leading lobbyist groups for Planned Parenthood have a higher view of conservatives than you do? It makes absolutely no sense. They're, they yeah. recognize this stuff. They sit here and they will document, hey, this is what's what they're doing to quote unquote, you know, suppress us mm -hmm. to which we say, great high five, you know? Yeah. So of course those are kind of like the practical reasons for why some of this, this, these arguments are nonsense. And we could get, we can go more into that later. There's different aspects that we could probably hit on here as well. Um, but also there's the, the moral aspect to this, especially as a Christian, like it's not, this is not just about stopping abortion. Like the, the point of the government is to carry out justice against the evildoer. Like that's the point. So it's not just about stopping abortion. For instance, I'll give you an example. If, if murder didn't change at all, which, which it would, <laughs> it would, but if, mur if the, the level of murder didn't change at all, if we just legalized murder tomorrow, that would not be a reason for why it's okay for a, le for a, a murder to be legal, right? It should Correct. still be illegal. And if it wasn't illegal and making it illegal wouldn't change the number of people getting murdered and would only change the number of people being prosecuted for it, obviously, because it would now be illegal. Um, we still shouldn't, still shouldn't, uh, um, we still should make it illegal. Well, abortion is murder. Like it's the same, it's the same concept. It's the same thing. Like just because if even if it wouldn't reduce it at all to make it illegal, which is utter nonsense, yeah. And and, and then then you still need to make it illegal because that is the moral thing to do. That is the morally righteous way that the government should be operating. 
And, and I think that's glossed over a lot. And, and some people think, well, yeah, that's true, but that's not, you know, the brunt of the argument. Like they want to stick with these practical arguments, which are, which are, which are good, but you have to carry the practical arguments over into the moral. Cause I think a big problem that we see in conservatism right now is that, is that you have people arguing on a practical level while ignoring the moral level. And then the, the socialists, the Democrats who want massive welfare states and, and want abortion for everyone, they're arguing on things on a moral level. And when it comes down right. to it, what's funny about that is not only do I think it's not only do I think it's more important to do the most moral thing, but also whenever you argue on a moral basis, it's actually more practical. That is why socialism is winning so many people in America today compared to the past. Because whenever you argue that capitalism is evil and you are so for instance, if you're arguing, Dave, that capitalism is is logical, it's practical, it makes sense, it works. Yeah, right. Even it lifts people out of poverty. You can give me a bunch of stats on all sorts of stuff. And then and then I say, but socialism is evil. If somebody believes both of us, they believe, OK, yeah, capitalism probably works better, but it's it's evil to not have massive welfare state to take care of people. You know what they're going to do? They're going to pick socialism every time because that's yeah, how we're wired. Yeah, that's how we're wired as human beings is choose moral imperative, even if we're choosing incorrectly we're still right. more likely to go along with, with what we perceive at the very least to be moral. So, yeah, hundred percent. And so, so what, while you're on that, uh, while you're on the topic of, of what kind of the, you know, just to, to sort of wrap up this article, we've been away from it for a while now, uh, but I'll just read the last paragraph here. Uh, it says this election Christians will undoubtedly land at points across the whole range of voting conclusions reluctantly voting for Trump, reluctantly voting for Biden, voting for a third party candidate, or not voting for president at all. I have a harder time understanding the Christian voter who is zealously enthusiastic about any of these choices. So when I read that, I mean, I don't have to read anything into this article to pull out that his conclusion is, eh, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, abortion's bad, but some of this other stuff's bad too. Vote for Trump if you want. Vote for Biden if you want. Uh, the only thing I would say is don't be excited about whatever you do, you know. And I think the church, from and by the church right now, I mean our corner of the world, right? So modern American evangelicalism essentially will continue to lose the battle mm -hmm. if the voices that are supposed to stand up and be the conservative voices. I mean, five years ago. TGC was, you know, the Calvinist coalition or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of what they were known as. Um, but if, if the conservative voices opinion is their conclusion is, eh, it doesn't really matter what you do. First of all, why are you even writing an article? Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like if, if, if you're so, uh, if you care so little about the conclusion that you're going to draw, that you're going to devote one sentence of, just don't be enthusiastic. Why are you writing an article about it? We know the reason that they're writing the article, right? And so this is my opinion. I can't prove this. But they're not writing the article to sway you to vote one way or another necessarily. They're writing the article to sway you to start thinking, yes, what we actually need is for women to have uh, free universal health care while they're pregnant. What we really need to do is encourage 
uh, universal child care uh, for that child. So the woman, the woman is still able to work and provide for them. What we need to do is we need to uh, increase welfare uh, for that woman so she's able to feed her child, et cetera, et cetera. Because that's what the body of the article is, right? So we are making an argument, I say you, he is making arguments in the body of his article. And yeah, now sometimes he'll give a little back and forth on them. But then when we get to the conclusion, then the, then the conclusion isn't an argument. What that tells me is what he's really focused on are these social programs. And I think that's probably the next thing to kind of jump into. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, what stands out for me is with this is, is, um, is just this idea that, that um, well, you know, you see, you see Tim Keller did the same thing. Like this isn't a one-off either. I mean, people, people watching this probably already know, but, but this isn't, this definitely isn't a one-off. You see Tim Keller do the same thing when he writes that piece in the New York times in 2016, I think, um, where he says that uh, um, he basically makes the argument that socialism is, is that we can't make moral conclusions about socialism versus capitalism. Sure. Um, and of course he avoids as much as he can talking about abortion in that article. He, he says something along the lines of sexual ethics, like the liberals get sexual ethics wrong and the conservatives get helping the poor wrong of or course. something along those lines. Um, um, and then later on he confirms, I, I would say in the last year here, I think it was right before the election actually, maybe like October, November. Um, he, he started talking about um, how, how the Bible doesn't really give us moral imperatives. He, he used the same language he did in that article and confirmed the fact that, that what he was saying in that article is that um, um, what we should do about abortion, meaning like the laws we should pass and, and, and how, how do we reduce it and that sort of thing. We don't really have any, any, uh, any uh, biblical um, imperatives, right? We don't have any, any, uh, um, any set yeah like, we, this is this is up for debate how we get to ending abortion all we as christians yeah. know that we need to do is end abortion and if that means voting for more abortion well maybe if that's what really ends it and and obviously i'm being yeah. a little bit tongue-in-cheek there but dude i mean it, it, functionally <laughs> functionally that is what again, it is yes when you have both uh, the incoming president and vice president of the united states saying that they will repeal the Mexico City policy, and that they will re uh, repeal the Hyde Amendment, or I guess you don't repeal the Mexico City policy, right? But you get what I'm saying. They will mm -hmm. reinstate uh, or, or uninstate, I guess you would, uh, you would say the Mexico City policy. You, that, that is more abortion. And yeah. it is more taxpayer funded abortion. I mean, period, dot. There's no way around that, right? Yeah. And the next thing, man, the, the other thing, when we hear this all the time, you said, you know, Tim Keller said it in his article and, and I know you weren't making a direct quote, right? Uh, but whether or not he said it specifically, we hear people say it specifically all the time, which is Christians get, you know, the pro-birth right, if you will. They get the right to life when it comes to an unborn child. They get that right, but they get caring for the poor wrong. Yeah. And we just what I want to say is just stop for a second, right? We have Christian hospitals. We have Christian food pantries. We have Christian homeless shelters. We have Christian crisis pregnancy centers. We have Christian adoption agencies, not to mention we have local churches that provide for people 
that are members and, and even that aren't members if they come to these local churches in need, right? So we have all of these things, but that's not enough. Now, does the secular left have half of that stuff? No, of course not. Almost to a T, especially with crisis pregnancy centers, almost to a T, if you go find one of these facilities, it's either church ran or church affiliated, right? Yeah. So what do they mean? They, they don't mean Christians aren't doing enough. They need, we need more, sorry, they mean we need more social welfare policies, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, we kind of uh, colloquially throw around the term socialism, right? And people would quibble over, we're not calling for the government to seize the means of production or whatever. Maybe they're arguing more for like social democracies, you know what I mean? Um, but at the end of the day, they are arguing towards a more socialist form of government. And functionally, we can just describe that as what they're saying is, look, Christians get pro-birth right, but they get redistribution of wealth wrong. That's yeah. all it is at the end of the day. Yeah. Christians are not advocating to take enough of one of their neighbors or of some of their neighbors wealth to give to another neighbor, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and to, to, to Tim Keller's article, he was specifically referring to, to Republicans, but of course he's making connection that uh, it's obvious. He's making the connection that, that uh, Christians, Christian conservatives vote Republican and the vast majority of evangelicals are Christian conservatives. Um, um, so it's, it's the same, same principle, but if you look at it on a political level, like the conservatives versus the liberals, the Democrats versus, I mean, the Republicans versus the Democrats, Whenever they, whenever they say the Republicans aren't taking care of the poor, it's not only like you said that Christians do private charity, but also the Republican Party itself is actually for a bu whole bunch of social welfare programs. Like yeah. they're not against um, um, food stamps, for instance. What is that? SNAP, the SNAP program. They're not against that. They're against it being as big as it is, right? They're not yeah. against social and, and security. And expanding it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're not against um, social security. They're not against Medicare and Medicaid. Um, which is which are in in essence uh, um, social welfare programs. They're not against things like WIC. They're definitely not against things WIC. I've never heard a Republican once ever suggest cutting WIC in any way, even though I think it shouldn't exist. But it, you know, there's there's all sorts of social welfare programs that they're 100% for. Um, a, a good example sure. is uh, that article that was written in the Christian Post, where it was the pro-life evangelicals for Biden. Right. In that, there's a point where they argue that uh, I think it's I think it's like PEPFAR something like that, P-E-P-F-A-R, um, is, is the acronym for, for a bill that was passed and signed by George Bush um, okay. back in 2004, I think. Um, and he, he signed this bill, and what it did is it created a program to where we give money, uh, both in the U.S., but mainly over in Africa to help in the, in the AIDS crisis. And, and by, by certain estimates, of course, I don't necessarily – buy these estimates because they don't actually give you their analysis of why they say this. I've looked everywhere. I can't find it anywhere, but by, by those who advocate for it, their estimates is 17 million lives have been saved over a period of 10 or 15 years or whatever it is sure. um, from this program, because people in Africa aren't dying at AIDS at the rates that they were. They're not getting AIDS at the rates they were, yada, yada, yada. Um, now there's a lot of assumptions being made there, but let's just go with that. Um, sure. One of the arguments that the pro-life Christians for Biden we're making in that Christian Post article, the only the only article that would even have any legitimacy as affecting actual lives being lost, um, um, 
affecting the number of actual lives being lost around the world was that Trump wanted to cut that program. Now, first of all, they, they lied in it and said, they said that he wanted to cut it. Whenever you hear he wants to cut the program, like, what do you think? Like, he probably wants thought? to take away money from it, but what they probably mean is he didn't want to expand funding at the rate yeah. that it had generally been expanded. Is, is that Yeah, close? they didn't, didn't want to expand it. And like what, what it sounds like to me when somebody just says cut and they don't give any more details, oh, he just wants it gone. He wants to take money from it. Yeah, yeah, so, he, he wants yeah. it gone. But, but anyway, but that, that is what, what, what he generally wanted. He wanted a reduction. And, and part of it is because there's not the crisis there was in 2004. Yeah. Because there's been a well, huge reduction. You don't need the resources now. In fact, one of the ladies that, uh, I don't know if she still is, but one of the ladies was like the head of the department that was running the, I mean, head of the agency that was, that was dealing with uh, the program. I think she might even work for the United Nations now. I wish I remember her name. But, but she said that a cutback actually wouldn't be a bad thing overall because we need to start figuring out how to not do these things with U.S. money because it's, it's crippling because it sure. starts to cripple them to some extent whenever they can't do it. And this is someone who, who works like who was advocating for the program, like back in the day. But anyway, my point being that, um, that really what was happening is Trump was going to cut it by 25%. And that's it. So it wasn't that it wasn't that Trump didn't want this program that's saving 17 million lives and that and Biden did want this program that saves 17 million lives. It's Trump's looked at it and says, there's a bunch of waste here and we can cut here, here, and here. Like they're yeah, it, it, would, it. it would be a, like the Democrats and the Republicans akin, are both for social welfare programs. Yeah. It would be akin to funding the New York city fire department, the same amount of emergency funding in 2003, you funded them in 2002. It's like, well, there were some pretty significant differences between yeah. those two years, yeah. as far as how much money needed to be spent on infrastructure and cleanup, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Exactly. Um, but yeah, and that's, that's, you know, we should do a whole episode um, on how these programs get started and the bureaucracy just continues to bog them down and they get tied into, you know, this one person's, uh, you know, this, this one Senator, this, you know, group of fives congressmen um, who are lobbied by this specific group. And it just continues to get drug along and drug along and drug along. And now I'm not saying for people listening that this isn't a good program or whatever. I don't know anything about the specific program he's addressing, but surely everyone would agree. I would hope on both sides of the aisle. Right that a lot of this legislation just gets tacked on and then never gets dropped off, you know, yeah. oh, and, you know, for years, for years. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's the fundamental difference right now between the Republican and the Democratic party when it comes to these social welfare programs. It's not that one wants people to starve. One doesn't care about the poor while the other, you know, wants people to be able to eat and cares about the poor and cares about, people not living in dire, you know, poverty or, 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 you know, having harder lives than necessary, put it that way. Sure. It, nobody's really starving yeah. to death, <laughs> but right. that's not the case. It's that one side, both sides care about the poor or, you know, at least care about the poor to a certain extent um, or pretend like they care about the poor. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, but For sure. one side just doesn't believe that the way to do it, or that, that the way to do it is to fund it to the extent that we're funding it. They're still for, even by, even by the liberal definition of care about the poor, which is have social welfare programs, both sides care about the poor. 
And, and so you end up with this thing where, where sure, the Democrats want to give more. Oh, so that means they care about the poor more because they want more. They want the, the funding for social welfare programs increase more. Well, then what if tomorrow Democrats say, well, we think it should be double what the Democrats say. Are you now going to vote for Democrats? Like, what is, what is the arbitrary random line that you're going to draw to where you yeah. go, okay, now we're and just that, being wasteful. And that goes back to that um, argument that you made earlier, which is Christians in, in the modern day, right, have been so conditioned by two things. One, two generations, functionally since the end of World War II on, I mean, yeah, we had Vietnam and a little bit of, a little bit of hard times there, but functionally two generations of very soft, very easy times. You know, mm -hmm. that's one thing. And then the second thing is the squishy evangelical fish. Um, to, to be a good Christian is to take care of, of absolutely everyone um, all the time, regardless of the circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. So there's two things here that are at play. And I make this I make this analogy all the time on Twitter. So, you know, you've probably seen it and, and some of our listeners may have seen it. I don't know. But when you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The thing that really strikes me about that parable of the Good Samaritan is when the Samaritan's on the road and he walks past the wounded traveler, right? Who's laying there in pain. And what does he do? Well, obviously he marches right past him. He walks down to Caesar, demands an audience, and then demands higher social <laughs> programs and more taxation to take care of wounded travelers, right? Yeah. No, of course that's not what he did. Of course that's <laughs> not what he did. He took his time. He took his money, right? He took him to the inn. He fed him. He clothed him. He took care of him. He ensured that he was healed, right? And then he was on his way. That is what Jesus is talking about when Jesus tells us that we're to, and not just Jesus, but, you know, the apostles, et cetera. Uh, and, and even in the Old Testament, when it talks about giving to those in need, caring for widows, um, you know, that's what it means. If you're reading the Bible and you're reading about how you need to love your neighbor and you think love your neighbor has anything to do with marginal tax rates, you're probably wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now you could, uh, I could make the argument. I would say that advocating for a 90% tax is not loving my rich neighbor. Uh, yeah. And I know you're familiar with, with A.D. Robles uh, and he has a very, very good video on this. So uh, I would highly recommend uh, anyone watching this. If you don't mind me giving a plug real quick uh, no, yeah, Matt, go to go check out, go check out AD's video on loving your rich neighbor, because uh, it, it really does seem that when we talk about loving our neighbor uh, in the modern evangelical church, we tend to exclusively think of people that have less than us, um, which is the definition of showing partiality, which we're commanded to not do, of course, in scripture, right? Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't be obeying all of scripture's commands uh, and, and I do believe they're commands. I don't think they're suggestions when it comes to uh, taking care of the poor, taking care of widows, uh, you know, in, in, in this way. I do think they're commands, but it is not a command to take money from my neighbor to give to my other neighbor. It's yeah, a command we, for me. Well, and we, we see that evident whenever you look at, uh, I, I get I get the two verses mixed up. Let me see. I was actually looking up a 
cursor so I say it exactly how it is. Um, I think it's in Second Thessalonians, but whenever whenever Paul's talking about um, not, so so you have to take you have to take like the 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 commands to give to the poor. You have to take them in context with other things because Paul also says to not uh, compel others to give. Like that was a, a direct command that he gave to the church was do not compel others to give. Now uh, some yep. churches take that take that so far as they don't even pass around an offering plate. They don't even mention the offering because they think that's compelling others to give. Well, if that's compelling others to give, how much more is telling the state, I want you to go to that person and take money. If he doesn't give it to you, you put him in a jail, put, put, him, in, put him in a cage for 15, 15 yeah. years. How much more is that exactly. compelling people to give? Like you can't just take one verse of the Bible and be like, oh, we're supposed to give. That means in every possible circumstance and every possible way we can think that would in any way possibly be per perceived as giving by our modern culture, we have to do it. It's like, no, first of all, you have to give in the manner that, he's, that, that, that he tells you to give, which you just explained, which is not going to Caesar and telling him to take money. But even if that was an option, when you initially read that verse, that gets entirely destroyed whenever Paul says, don't compel people to give. And also it enti gets entirely destroyed when he says, don't give to people who are lazy, essentially. Let them, let them not eat. Um, um, so, it, which, which that's what government programs are. There's not been a government program in the world they are, that, that wasn't inefficient and ineffective in a way that handed out money in, 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 in a very unwise manner that had a bunch of people taking advantage of the system and a bunch of people could be individuals. 100%. It could be corporations. It could be a whole slew of things. But what's really obvious is that the government programs are inherently inefficient and ineffective to the point that if you have a government program, that's doing welfare, that's giving money to the poor, they're going to give money to people who are lazy and who don't need it. Yep. And that's, well, and, and even, even beyond lazy, I mean, people with, with serious issues, people with serious mental illness, people with serious drug and alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is, it's become verboten to say in, in the 21st century for some reason, but it is a simple reality, dude, that a large number of people, especially like that are, that are homeless, that are consistently homeless, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not talking for a weekend. They fell on hard times. I'm talking people that are consistently homeless for years and years and years, a large, if not a majority, certainly a plurality. And I think most studies would indicate a majority of these people uh, either have a, a form of mental illness or serious drug and alcohol addiction. Right. Yeah. Um, and what I find interesting is maybe not so much in the Christian circles, but in the more secular circles that certainly intersect with the uh, Christian social justice movements. Right. Mm -hmm. Dude, they, they don't, the last thing they want to address is drug and alcohol addiction uh, or, or mental health amongst, um, amongst the homeless or anything like that, right? I mean, all you have to do uh, is turn off the news and look at the pictures from, from LA County and look at the pictures from San Francisco and the Tenderloin and, and stuff like that, right? And you'll see needles strewn across the street and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Tell me that it's loving your neighbor to just throw a couple extra hundred dollars at them. You can't yeah. tell me it's loving their neighbor to set up a needle exchange van in the middle yeah. of the tenderloin. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's so beyond anything that we find in scripture. And I understand that everyone comes to scripture with their biases, right? And I'm not so naive as to think 
that me as a conservative capitalist, I don't have a certain lens that I look through. But yeah. at the same time, you can't sit here and tell me that when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, he's actually teaching socialism. You can't sit here and tell me that, you know, the best way to love your neighbor is to set up needle exchange vans in the tenderloin, right? Yeah. Like some of this stuff is so common sense yeah. that scripture is so clear on. Why are we debating it? Why is this even a discussion? Why are Christians not all on the same page, right? And I'll tell you why they're not on the same page, because they're prioritizing their leftist political priors over scripture and then incorporating that into their eisegesis of scripture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, man, uh, I think that's a good place to wrap it up, If uh, unless you had something else to add. Any any last, last nope. thoughts on a particular subject? All right, cool, cool. Sounds um, like a plan, man. Awesome. So you can find uh, me at uh, at Matt Travis Media on Twitter, pretty much every platform, Twitter, Facebook, I have the same same tag. You can find uh, Dave on Twitter at Agent of Polemics, right? That's it. That's right. You're on, uh, you're on username number like <laughs> 85 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll keep you guys updated. Yeah. Yeah. It's current. We'll have to, we'll have to, yeah, we'll send out regular emails to everybody to be exactly. sure that we keep update on yeah. where he's at on his username. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so, so me at Matt Travis media, Dave at agent of polemics. Um, um, of course, uh, share this, like it, do all the normal stuff. <laughs> also visit um again i mentioned this beginning but i'm gonna throw out there again libertytalks.net uh particularly libertytalks.net slash trollier than thou that's that name cracks hey, up every time hey, before I can't we wrap it, it up real smiling. quick maybe it's a uh yeah, go for it so so real quick before we wrap it up you want to you want to talk about the name for a second yeah yeah go <laughs> for kinda, it just kind of just kind of explain it. it right so uh so trollier than now um i first found it slash started using it uh, there's a there's a Twitter user named Joshua D. Jones. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. I'm sure a lot of the followers, uh, sorry, a lot of the listeners are. But he had in his profile, holy troller, uh, you know, holy forever. <laughs> yeah, as, as far as I've known, you know, as far as I'm, as, excuse me, as long as I've followed him, he's had that in his name. So probably five years or whatever, you know. Is he pretty good? Worth um, following? I might follow yeah, him right now. Yeah, he is. Yeah, Let's he's pretty good. He's a pretty solid dude. Um, but anyway beyond that, I just thought it was funny, you know, and, um, and as I continuously got accused more and more and more of trolling, <laughs> which, which is not entirely, uh, <laughs> without merit, that accusation, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I try, I try to be serious when it's warranted, but you get it. Um, I just kind of added that <laughs> to the profile and where, where'd you first see it? Did you first pick it I up? I first saw it. Or? I'm guessing it was in your profile or you, or you, okay. Gotcha. Or you tweeted something out at one point. I can't remember, but I know it was it was through Twitter, and I'm pretty sure it was you. And then I looked up on uh on uh let me throw this up real quick. Um, uh, what's it called Urban? I was there. At Urban Dictionary. I feel like this is a pretty apt um, definition. I looked it up on Urban Dictionary, and it turns out they have a definition. It only had one other like. Um, so that means it's <laughs> it's not a super popular nice. term, but it's somebody else at least is saying it. Yeah, um, at least the definition is when two or more internet trolls are arguing, and one of them implies that they are the more moral party in a given situation. Oh my god! There you go. That works. That Sounds about awesome. right. <laughs> and we are we are trollier than now because uh, definitely um, with the type of people that we interact with, we have the more moral positions. Yes. <laughs> I oh, absolutely so. 
for, for anyone listening, uh, fear not if today seemed a little serious. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, just kind of us bouncing back and forth, giving our thoughts on some stuff. But uh, we do promise to have some some trolly episodes in the future. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, we plan on this podcast be be relatively lighthearted, serious at times. But um, but um, we're we're excited. This is this is good stuff. Um, and and uh, and also we didn't have a lot of time to prepare today. We had some uh, technical issues and whatnot. So that was so uh, so we got some good stuff coming forward. Let's just put it that way. So anyway, once again, I'm gonna throw it out there again at Agent of Polemics at Matt Travis Media. Um, and deliverytalks.net slash trollier than thou. Again, you can you can find us there if we ever get banned sometime in the future. Hopefully that'll be a long ways away, but but you know it happens. Um, um, and uh, yeah, feel free to subscribe there to the to the the email newsletter, and we'll let you know whenever we upload videos and, and upload clips and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was good. Sweet bro, I will uh, talk to you here soon.